and I was shooting some helicopter footage of the the old city of Jerusalem. I just needed to get this really great shot, and I we just kept getting closer and closer. And let me tell you, the Israeli Air Force does not like it when you're filming from a helicopter cl too close to the old city. And so they sent out a fighter plane to to uh, intimidate us a little bit and make us back away from doing it. So. Uh, but it makes a great story for the grandkids. But yeah, you know, I, I was there, there for a moment. We weren't sure if we'd be shot down or not. But I did get the shot. Welcome back, guys. This is a brand new episode in season two of Art Vance. Today on the show, we have an international guest, a media producer, writer, speaker, coach, someone who's helping leaders navigate their career and calling in today's distracted media-driven culture. Now, there's a very provoking statement. Phil Cook, who has a PhD, is co-founder and CEO of Cook Media Group in Los Angeles. Phil has produced media programming in nearly 70 countries and created many of the most influential, inspirational TV programs in history with a client list that includes Hollywood studios, major nonprofit organizations, and many of the most respected churches and ministries in the world. His latest book is Ideas on a Deadline, How to Be Creative When the Clock is Ticking. He's also been called one of the most innovative communicators of our generation. Find out more at philcook.com. So today you're going to love this episode. It's going to be full of really intelligent, creative and innovative conversation around going after God's heart for the arts industry. Uh, so tune in and enjoy. All right, guys, welcome back to Art Vance. I'm extraordinarily excited to be with you today and also really excited about our guest who's on the show today, who's a media producer, director, has worked in Los Angeles for a long, long time, influencing the narrative around media, entertainment projects within media and production, uh, serving both ministry and also mainstream context, which is what this podcast is all about, equipping Christians to thrive as artists, whether it's in mainstream or faith context and be faithful to their calling. Um, so Phil Cook, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you on Art Vance. Thank you, Elliot. I'm thrilled to be here. This will be this will be quite fun. I love the whole concept of your podcast and I love the audience. So I'm I'm in. Well, as I said before, I'm a real fan of your podcast too. So this is a real honor for me. Great. We'll have fun. Um, so, Phil, could you maybe give us a little bit of a background on on you? Um, I, because I follow your <laughs> podcast, I, I know a little bit, and there's probably listeners to our podcast that know who you are as well. But let's start with you grew up as a preacher's kid. Could you kind of launch us from there? No, I did. I did. I grew up in a preacher's kid in Charlotte, North Carolina, in the in the South, in the U.S., and, um, you know, I worked behind the scenes. My earliest memory is working behind the scenes. I mowed the grass. It was a hundred year old church when we were there and uh, when I was a kid. And so I mowed the grass in the church cemetery. I probably filled thousands and thousands of communion cups. Uh, the, the community thought we had a brilliant set of bells in the steeple, but it was really me every day at six o'clock climbing up a ladder into the steeple and playing a 33 RPM album of church bells through a big loudspeaker we had set up up there. And so, uh, yeah, I've seen the, the the good, the bad, the ugly from behind the scenes at church my whole life. And maybe that's part of the reason we do the work we do today. It's so funny. I, I remember as a kid, so often pastors, this is back in the 50s and 60s here in the U.S., and very often during that time, pastors would do crazy stuff to try to encourage people to come to church. And I remember, uh, you know, one pastor said he would shave his head if enough, enough kids came to Sunday school on a particular Sunday. And another pastor sat in the steeple 
for oh a week trying to encourage people to come to church. And I remember as a little kid, people at school saying, you know, Phil, why, why in the world does pastor so-and-so do such stupid things? And it's funny, I realized early on that that perception, you know, he was sincere. He was trying to do his best, trying to come up with ideas to get people to come to church. But I think that perception cost him more than any benefit. So I learned early on that how you present your message is just as important as the message you present. And so I've always been involved in trying to help the church share the gospel, share the message of the gospel more effectively, particularly in this media-driven culture we live in. So it's been a passion of mine my whole life. That's so good. And that kind of feeds into a little bit of my understanding around, um, you know, how where God takes us from our root system and he always uses our root system to launch us into a, another unknown True. place. But he's always equipped us from those roots. Um, and yeah, I love that story. It, it's, it would make a great film one day. <laughs> well, you know, your root system is really a good, a good analogy. I, I, when I wrote my book, one big thing, discovering what you were born to do. One of the principles in there is, you know, if you're trying to figure out what that one thing is, you're extraordinary at, and, and kind of the whole concept of the book is that nobody notices, notices people who are pretty good at a lot of things. And most of us would say we're pretty good at a bunch of stuff. Uh, the people that get noticed, the people that get on the radar that break through are people that are extraordinary at one big thing. And I always encourage people, you know, that one big thing may be something you've never really thought about, but other people notice. I directed sports television when I was in my 20s for a while, and I would have professional athletes tell me, you know, the truth is I was always the fastest kid on the block or I could catch the ball that nobody else could catch. And um so early on, and I often remember back in, in, you know, here in the U.S., we'd have our homecoming football game where, you know, the homecoming queen was announced and there was a big party celebrating it and we'd have a big dance. And and very often you'd be on the committee planning that and you'd sit around a table and one person would say, well, Bob, you're really creative. Why don't you host it? Or Susan, you, you come up with brilliant ideas. Why don't you come up with a theme? Or John, you're great with numbers. Why don't you, you know, do the accounting and, and help us work with a budget? Other people notice things that sometimes we don't. It really does go back to our roots. Very often, the thing that God can use most effectively in our life is something that really became present, became known, became evident when we were pretty young. So I always encourage people to go back. Your, your root system is right on. Yeah. Root system leads to the fruit system. Um, it does. <laughs> hey, listen. When you got started in the industry, you mentioned football yeah. or, or sports coaching, uh, sorry, directing, the film directing of it. Um, yeah. What else got you started in that area? So you said you were you were serving in the church grounds and mowing lawns yeah. and digging graves, was it? Well, I was mowing the grass in the cemetery, although once I did dig one grave, I was mowing the grass. And this was, a like I said, it was a hundred-year-old church. And back in those days, people were buried in wooden coffins and I would, I mean, there were two or three times when I was mowing the grass and I'd take the lawnmower over a grave and that rotten wooden coffin would collapse under the weight. And I'd suddenly fall three or four feet into the, into the, the, the grave. And, you know, I was 10 years old, 12 years old. You see stuff that you probably shouldn't see down there. <laughs> and uh, my dad would panic. I mean, he would say, man, you got to cover it up. You got to fill it in. And, the, you know, we can't <laughs> let the family see this. And um, so I was 10 years old. So I'd get concrete blocks and I'd get, you know, aluminum chairs and, you know, old pieces of wood, two by fours. I'd get all kind of stuff and bags of grass and fill in the, the grave and then put a nice layer of dirt over the top. And 
I always was pretty proud of myself until I realized later that when the rapture happens, that person's never getting out of there. There's just too much <laughs> on top of them. But um, yeah, it was part of growing up in a church environment. But, you know, early on, I started making movies, even in junior high and high school. I, my dad had a Super 8 movie camera. That's how old I am. And back in those days, a, a, a Super 8 movie camera had about three minutes of film. And uh, we would make, I had a group of buddies and we'd make all kind of little stupid movies. We would make army movies and mafia movies and, and space movies, just all kind of little three minute, little, little sketches. And um, never crossed my mind that it's something you could do for a living. Never in a million years. And um, when it was time to go to college, I thought, you know, maybe I'll find some buddies in college that would want to do this. And I took my dad's camera, took three or four of my little films and literally the first day in, at school, I moved a thousand miles away to college. And the first day in the dormitory, I'm unpacking my suitcase and a couple of the films fell out onto the floor. And a guy across the hall, Rod Carlson, I'll never forget, came over and said, hey, I see your films here. I'm taking a film class. You know, would you like to learn how to edit those things? I, I didn't even know you could cut film back in those days. That's how ignorant I was. And we, we went down to the film department that very night and he was showing me how to cut the film and we were editing away. And uh, three or four hours in, the professor, I'd learned the professor was there and he'd been in the back working on a project. And as he left, he walked over and introduced himself and said, you know, I've been watching your little film out of the corner of my eye. And he said, I've got students that have been taking film class for two or three years and they still don't do this well. He said, would you mind if I showed your little film in my class tomorrow? And I said, well, sure, if I can sit on the back row and just watch. And so the next day I did. And I, I was a music major at the time because, you know, as a preacher's kid, playing the piano was a requirement for the job. And I didn't know what else to do. So I was a music major. But I went to his film class the next day and I sat on the back row. They showed my little film. And trust me, it was nothing to scream about. But um, <laughs> after it was over, they discussed it. They started a conversation. They talked about my film. And this idea hit me. I think it's the most crystal clear moment of revelation I've ever had before since that if I could do something with a camera that makes people talk like this, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. And uh, I literally changed my major that afternoon, uh, enrolled in the film, television, media program, and I've never looked back. And, uh, you know, the kind of the interesting thing about that is many years later, probably 30 years later, I tracked down the professor and he had moved to California and uh, I tracked him down and uh, met up with him and sat on his front porch with him and told him the impact he'd had on my life that, you know, that actually changed the direction of my whole life. And that was a really amazing moment. I encourage you, if you're an artist or a creative person and you're listening to this, you find that person that had a huge impact on your life and you go back, whatever it takes to find them, find them. Because I tell you that moment together that we had was just a moment I'll never forget. And um, I just think it's so important to go back and let people know how you've changed their life. And uh, mm. so anyway, that's how I got in the business. I, I just started studying, you know, changed my major, started studying, and I've never looked back. This is amazing to know that it was stories on film that started conversations and that's what sparked in you going, this is what I should be doing. Um, Absolutely. You know, and speaking of stories and education, because that was in an education environment, I'm an educator and I teach film and screen acting to primary age kids and and uh, teach up to 400 of them a week. And, and I often say to them, listen, forget about the grades. What I want you to go away with is a passion for story and a passion for creating and, and understanding that God has given you a gift to create stories and he uses stories to change people's lives. And if you, you go at life with that mindset and that attitude, um, you could change the world with with a story on screen and acting on screen. And 
Um, so I love that you, you know, reference that sitting on the porch 30 years later with a professor that had one True. moment with you that, that yeah. totally was the rudder in the ship that steered you into clarity. Yeah. And, st- you know, it, it, I could I could give you a thousand examples of stories and how the impact they've had. It's funny. Um, one of the things I discovered during a dark period of my life, I, I produced infomercials, you know, those 30 minute product commercials for TV, you know, all kind of products you see on TV at late night. And I needed the money. And um, you is know, that the you, one I, is that? Sorry, are those the ones with the? Uh, are you tired of doing sit-ups and? There you go. Uh, yes, that's the one. Gotcha. Awesome. That's the one. And I've done some weird stuff. And um, but one thing we learned doing those is that, you know, you could like, for instance, George Foreman, famous boxer here in the U.S., did a grill, this famous miracle grill, and um, he did a thirty-minute program, and, and we discovered that. George can talk about that grill until he's blue in the face. I mean, he can talk about the features. We can show how great it is and how well it works and why you need it. But it's not until we show the story of, say, a guy in Cleveland that ordered it, took it home, took it to his family reunion. And because it worked so well, he became the rock star of his family reunion. And it was you know, just a great time together. That's when people call and order the, the grill. And we discover that it's not talking about it. It's not describing it. It's showing the story of a guy whose life was changed because of that product. That's when people think, wow, you know, if it worked for that guy, maybe it'll work for me. And that's when they call and they order. And so whether you're selling a product, whether you're sharing your testimony as a Christian, for instance, or whether you're doing anything, telling the story about how a life was transformed because of what you do or what you believe that has an enormous, enormous power over people's lives out there. So I cannot overestimate the impact of a story. You know, theology is great. I've got a PhD in theology. I, I'm, I'm passionate about that too, but I can lecture and teach all day long. But if I show the story of a person's life that was transformed because of this stuff, that's when people respond. So mm. you're on the right track. Sharing those kind of stories is really, really critical. Hey there, I hope you're enjoying the episode. We're going to get back to it just in a moment. I just want to tell you about our Patreon. Patreon is an opportunity for you to have access to more opportunities and content only for Patreon members. You're not only helping the podcast stay sustainable and go to another level of quality, but you're also going to have access to more content and opportunities. So head over to that using the link in the description below. Let's get back to the interview. Speaking of one of your, I think you were um, second unit director on a, on this movie. My dad and I would watch this a few times together when I was growing up, <clears throat> which kind of gave me a passion for kingdom storytelling and filmmaking. Yeah. Um, uh, the Omega Code. Is that <laughs> man? Is that you dug right? some ugly stuff out of my past. <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, I, I, that was a film that uh, I mean, it's nothing. You know, nothing I put on my resume, but it was a. You know, that that was back in the eighties when the end times was such a rage, and and they you know, a a TV ministry here in the U S wanted to make this feature film. And at the last minute they called me in because they'd lost some confidence in the crew. And they said, would you direct the second unit for people that aren't familiar with filmmaking? The second unit is usually shooting the action scenes. They're blowing up stuff. And, and so I said, yeah, I'm in. So I was out in the desert and in Israel blowing up all kind of stuff and, and having, you know, shooting car wrecks and things like that. And Mm. I think they hoped I'd be able to oversee kind of the whole project but I wasn't able to because I was out shooting all this fun stuff out in the desert. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's it was an interesting time. And it, but yeah, it, I, I learned a lot through the experience. 
That's great. So all the non-studio production, it was all the location action. Yeah. And that's yeah. Fun. I remember, I remember shooting some uh, aerial footage. This is back before drones. I was shooting some helicopter footage. I've done a lot of that in my career and I was shooting some helicopter footage of the, the old city of Jerusalem. And mm. uh, I just needed to get this really great shot. And I, we just kept getting closer and closer. And let me tell you, the Israeli air force does not like it when you're filming from a helicopter cl too close to the old city. And so they mm. actually, um, they sent out a fighter plane to, to uh, intimidate us a little bit and make us back away from doing it. So, uh, but it makes a great story for the grandkids, but yeah, you know, I was there, there for a moment. We weren't sure if we'd be shot down or not, but I did get the shot and that's what's important. You got the shot. You got the shot. <laughs> <laughs> that's a wrap. Oh, yeah. Going down in flames. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got the oh, shot. What a great story. Um, now I've loved your discussion on your book for creatives, um, which, you know, being a creative and I also work in media consultation as well, having a deadline has become an ever increasingly, you know, large value of mine. Um, I kind of described my relationship with time in the past, kind of like a hard taskmaster and I'm the slave, um, when yes. it comes to getting things done and, you know, kind of when I started hearing you talk about this on your podcast and, um, you talk about the book, I started thinking, you know, this is a, this is a, you know, God heals marriages, God heals relationships between fathers and sons, mothers and daughters. And he also heals relationship between us and time. Um, and you know, that's kind of a relationship that's being healed for me at the moment in regards to how I perceive time and, and yeah. your discussion on, on the book has been really exciting. Can you share a little bit what inspired you sure. about that book? That'd be amazing. Well, I wrote it because I've spent my whole career under a clock. Um, you know, I do broadcast television and I've done Super Bowl commercials here in the U.S., you know, the big, big football game. And I discovered that they're not going to move the date of the Super Bowl because I can't come up with a good enough idea for a commercial. And so um, early on, from, from the earliest moment of my career, I've had to live under deadlines. And so I meet creative people all the time who are very, who are quite brilliant, but they literally crumble in, you know, when they face a deadline and fall apart and can't deliver. And so um, I wanted to share some of the techniques that I've used over the years. I just think limitations are really actually an asset. Um, if you talk to a lot of high level creative people, whether it's in Hollywood, whether it's in Madison Avenue advertising here in the U.S., just uh, w w the higher the level you go, the more they embrace deadlines. In fact, I've gotten to where in my career, I won't even engage with a project. I don't even start a project until I see the deadline looming in the dis distance. And um, a lot of particularly creative, super creative copywriters for advertising will tell you, you know, until the, the, the guy's screaming in the hallway that he needs my script right now, that's when I start working. And um, so if you learn to embrace those deadlines, it could really make a dramatic difference in your work. And, and it's a total myth, by the way, Elliot, that, that, you know, say you have a presentation due next Tuesday. A lot of people will think, you know, if I could have another week or two, it'd be amazing, but I could have it by Tuesday. It's just not going to be as good as it could be. Well, that's ludicrous. That's crazy. There's no reason you cannot hit the Tuesday deadline and be absolutely amazing. But there's mm. some techniques you have to think about. There's some things that that I go into detail uh, detail in the book about that if you can start activating those things in your creative life, it can make a dramatic difference. So the bottom line is we don't have to suffer under this idea that, okay, the deadline is going to hurt us. The deadline is going to be a, a, a killer. That's a myth. It's a total myth. I just really believe that we can be as creative as we want 
even when we have an impending deadline, even when that deadline is really, really tight, we can still do remarkable, remarkable work, but it takes some effort. It takes understanding some of the principles I talk about in the book. And I used my own experience, the experience of a lot of high level creative people here in Hollywood or in, in New York advertising. Uh, also, there's some interesting research out there about dreams and and things like that that can really activate creativity in your life. So I'm passionate about it. There's And I discovered there's plenty of books on creativity out there. But when I looked, I really couldn't find much at all on how to be creative under a deadline, how to be creative when the clock is ticking. So that's was really the the spark that caused me to write the book. Yeah, no, it's it's really encouraging. And I think that's the kind of analytical side we need as creatives, um, you know, because sometimes we can be highly creative and very focused on, you know, the emotion of that. And and that while that's beautiful, um, often it, it's fruitless if we don't if we don't set a deadline. And so having absolutely that in place absolutely. Is, it ensures we get our harvest. <laughs> well, it's true. And, and, you know, creativity for me is really solving problems. You know, creativity is not just writing a poem or writing a novel or writing a screenplay or producing a film. It's solving all kinds of problems that we face. And for most people, those kind of problems come with a deadline and uh, being able to master that and embrace that and still perform really, really well at a high level, I think is absolutely critical. So, I'm all for I'm all for deadlines, and I, I wish everybody could understand the power of you know when you can embrace that, it can make a huge difference for you. Mm, and you'll actually start enjoying it. You'll actually like for me, I was afraid of setting timers on things because I thought I have this fear of failure that if I don't get this job done in thirty minutes, which I've I've set that you know ten emails in thirty minutes or whatever, I'm you know got this fear of failure. Oh no, I only got eight done. That didn't work. But it's actually the opposite. Once you start setting those timers, and I have two desks in my space. I have my film editing desk, then I've got my writing desk and my podcasting desk. And and I kind of move from desk to desk to, to diversify those jobs a little bit. Um, but setting timers for those things has been extremely liberating. Um, yeah, healing the relationship with time. It's yeah, good. and everybody can react differently. Uh, some people have a word target that, you know, if you're a writer, I know Stephen King, I think he has a... 1300 words he he wants to nail every single morning and um he doesn't celebrate his birthday he doesn't celebrate christmas he has to hit that target every morning before he begins his day and so mm -hmm. that's that was in fact it's really one of the big things i discovered in researching the book is that the most creative people the last couple hundred years were virtual slaves to routine and i discovered mm -hmm. that it's something you have to do every day it's it's if you're going to be creative and you're going to be professional about it you need to exercise that muscle and you need to block the time, go in there, show up. You know, I have what I call in the book, I have what I call the holy trinity of creativity, which is schedule the time, find the place and show up. And, uh, you know, scheduling the time is important because some of us are morning people, some are afternoon people, some are late night rock star people. And uh, I, I learned early on in my career that from 6 a.m. to noon, I can write like a wild man. That, that's when I, uh, my creativity is at its most intense. And so mm. I try to block that as much as possible for my scripts, my books, anything intense I have to do. And uh, then where really does matter? I, I can't be distracted. I can't have open windows. Probably a bank vault would be the best place for me to be creative. I can't be at you know a coffee shop. Uh, th th it's funny. Th there's some research that indicates for some people, for a small group of people, the dull roar of coffee shop conversation is very inspiring and stimulating. So mm. good for them. That doesn't work for me. <laughs> and then finally show up. You've got to be there every day. Someone, uh, there's a famous 
quote that the art of creativity is the art of connecting the seat of your pants to the seat of a chair. You actually have to show up mm. and do the work. So little things like that can make a dramatic difference uh, when you start adding them all up and really you know, implementing them in your life. Guys, I really hope you're enjoying season two of Art Vance. I've had so much enjoyment creating it. Can I ask you a favor to go over to Apple Podcasts and write a five-star review for us? It will help us reach more people. As well, could you make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel, Elliot Bonza, as well as subscribe to the podcast on Apple. I really appreciate it. Often in the Christian world, you know, um, I talk about how, you know, the, the religious mindset says, no, you need to blend in, you need to be hidden, you need to just be humble and be, you know, serve. And, and whilst that's true, um, Jesus has called us to be salt and light. Um, yeah. And one of the things I love to encourage people on this podcast about is, you know, God doesn't call all of his people and put them inside a, a lamp shop. You know, a good friend of mine has a, a podcast as well and talks about God doesn't set lamps up in a lamp shop. You know, he, he sends lights out into the dark places and and um, just to just to be light. And um, this whole thing of uh, Christian artists versus versus artists who work brilliantly at what they do. And as they do it, they represent Christ. I'd love you to speak into it a little bit around that, because that's a mindset shift for a lot of people, especially if you come from evangelistic context, you can think, no, my mission is to, you know, quote scriptures to people, tell them about Jesus. And, and basically they're, they're focused on quantity of, of message instead of quality of message. And, and they're not always focused on the art form. They're not always focused on yeah. how about I just be brilliant at what I do um, and represent Jesus through being brilliant at what I do and let God do what he wants to do through that. Could, could you say some things about that? Yeah, I, I think we're all called to do different things in different ways. My dad was a pastor, uh, as we talk, uh, talked about, and he, to my knowledge, my dad had never read a novel in his life. It, 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 he had about a 6,000 volume library, brilliant theologian, World War II historian. Um, he was a brilliant guy, was reading all the time. I think part of my passion for reading came from watching my dad. But I don't think he ever read a novel in his in his entire life. I never saw it. And um, he was one of those guys that's going to share the gospel in a very straight way right from the Bible. However, mm. I also find it interesting that God chose to introduce himself to us in the very first verse of the Bible as a creator. Um, mm. I, I, let me tell you, there are plenty of attributes of God. He could have described himself in many, many ways, but he chose in the very first verse of the Bible to describe himself as a creator. And we're made in his image. And I think we're called to, to a much higher bar than we think when it comes to creativity. And so... There's no question in my mind. I mean, you go back to the earliest days of the Old Testament, whether they were building the tabernacle in the desert, they called in the artist and they had a very specific task for those artists to do. Uh, whether it was building Solomon's temple, they called in the artist. So throughout the history of the, of the Christian faith, artists have played such an incredibly important role. And it's different. It's complementary from, you know, the theologian, the pastor, the leader in other ways. And so I think it's vitally, vitally important. And whether you do that with a film camera, whether you do it with a paintbrush or a typewriter, a computer, um, how you express your experience with God and your journey with God, I think is absolutely critical. So I'm a big mm. believer. I, I'm, I, you know, I don't think I'm a terribly gifted artist, but I try to be. And I think it's so important that we use those gifts to share what God's called us to do. And I also feel, Elliot, that, you know, if you feel God's called you to do something significant with your life, 
do it. Step out there. It's time to just mm. stop think, you know, wondering about it and debating about it and arguing about it. Just get out there and do it. Um, I think I'll tell you, I don't know of a better time in history to be an artist. Certainly funding and financing is a challenge. But the truth is we have tools at our disposal. We have a, uh, you know, a culture that's predisposed to creativity. So I just think this is a brilliant time to step up and be the creative artist God has really called you to be. So I'm all, I'm, I'm in your camp. I'm 100% for that. Yeah. 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 No, it's good. Fantastic. Now let's just quickly talk about, um, you know, you, we probably launch off that the highest calling people, you know, I've, I've been in ministry and in, and in business and, and now I'm across ministry, business and education. And it feels as though God's calling doesn't, alternate between those they are expressed it's his calling on our lives is expressed in every space we go um but i'm really privileged that it's in this space of of film and storytelling and and because that's the area of passion that is in my root system um and so just hanging out at the fruit system now um but sacred versus secular what's your thoughts on that do you feel like there is a sacred space um, in terms of, you know, having been in ministry, you grew up in the church. Um, what's, what do you think God's heart is regarding, you know, having people in the church is really important, but do you see it as just as important people being in their area of industry or in their area of work? Yeah, I think, I think both are viable alternatives. I, I think, you know, for instance, I, I do a lot of television producing and, you know, in America and Australia and other countries, we have Christian television and, you know, many channels are Christian, you know, designated Christian channels. And very often they're just terrible programs. You know, some are doing some really great work, but probably the most still are really, really terrible. However, I don't have a problem having a channel. You know, I have a satellite television in our home here in Los Angeles, and uh, we have probably five, 600 channels. And there, there are home remodeling channels. There are car racing channels. There are sports channels. There are gay channels. There's every channel you can imagine. So I don't have a problem having a channel that helps Christians be better Christians. That's great. If you want to produce mm. those programs, fantastic. I, you know, mm. just my only criterion is be good at it. Be really good. Do compelling <laughs> programs. However, I also work here in Hollywood with people who feel called to the secular film industry. Um, mm. One girl that used to be my assistant is now a high-level film uh, or finance director at, at Walt Disney Studios. Other people I know are producing movies like Marvel movies, and they're dedicated Christians, and they feel like God's called them into that field to make a difference in that way. So, I, you mm. know, I think it's time to stop making it an either or thing and start looking yeah. at it as a both and thing. I, I think that both have credibility, both have a calling, both are important. Mm. Um, you know, you may be writing books specifically to a Christian audience, helping them be better Christians. Great. I'm all for it. Um, mm. But I also just admire just as much people that are out there trying to slog their way through a secular culture, writing books, maybe from a Christian perspective to try to you know, interpret the gospel for that audience in a different way. I think that's really, really important. Uh, in, in my own work, I, I do a lot of speaking all over the all over the world at conferences and events, and I'll speak to secular conferences. And I just have to, you know, I make no bones about the fact that I'm a believer. I make no bones about that's my perspective and where I'm coming from. But at the same time, I'm tailoring that talk in a way that they're going to relate and they're going to that's going to impact impact them in a powerful way. So. Um, I don't use the same jargon. I don't use the same lingo. I don't use the same stories. 
So we just have to be, I, I think it's all about a respect for the audience. It's who you're trying mm -hmm. to reach. Start there. I often tell people when I produce programs uh, or write books, I start backwards. I start with figuring out who the audience is I want to reach and then start backpedaling from there to figure out what the kind of book I need to write for that audience is and how mm -hmm. I need to do it. So I, I think both are valid. I, I'm thrilled when people want to produce a podcast or a television program or a film or whatever, specifically for a Christian audience. And I'm just as thrilled when they want to do it for a secular audience and go to film festivals and things like that. So I'm on board. And, you know, there are occasional crossover movies and books that, that it will appeal to both sides of the fence. And that's probably the best thing of all. But, mm. um, you know, if you can do that, it's fantastic. So I, I'm, I, I encourage everybody to go out and do your thing. However, whatever direction you feel like God's called you. Did that, did that make sense at all? Or am I, am Absolutely. I a lunatic? No, no, no. That's really good. I, I suppose my question bouncing off that is, do you have any stories where you've gone to maybe a Christian um, based audience produ production and you've seen that the way they're presenting the message isn't being effective um, or is, has just been, you know, traditionally normal and you've introduced a new wineskin or you've said, Hey, I think we need to tell this story in a different way. Do you have a story to share with us around that? Oh, about a hundred. Uh, I'll give you one major ministry. One of the largest, th this is a number of years ago here in the U S one of the largest ministries in the country at the time, uh, came to us and wanted us to do a one hour television special that they would air on a global basis all over the world. And um, I had never done a project for them before. I, 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 let me say I'd done a few little smaller things, but I'd never produced, uh, you know, an entire special for them. And they basically came to us and said, we want to do something that people who would never in a million years watch one of our normal programs would watch. And so we took them at their word and we opened it with a guy committing suicide in his car and, and uh, went, we just went off from there. And, um, it was wild. And it was like this ministry cross between this ministry organization and MTV and a couple other things. And, and when we finished the project, uh, as we were getting close to finishing, we were showing them some rough cuts and the ministry hated it. I mean, mm. they hated it twice. They sent ministry executives to our editing room here in California to yell at us. And when we finally finished the program, um, the, the guy who was number two at the ministry saw he screened it and said you know what this is not what this ministry is about as long as i'm alive this program will never air and mm. this is back in the days when we did screeners on you know half inch uh, vhs tape and and he finished watching the program called me said you know it's never going to air this is terrible and left it on his coffee table and one of his guys told me that later that night his wife came in didn't know what it was, popped it in the VCR, watched the program. And they said with tears in her eyes, she told her husband, look, I don't know what this is, but people need to see this program. Mm. And they reneged and they decided, okay, we'll bury it. We'll show it, but we'll put it between a couple of other our programs and maybe nobody will notice. And they aired the program and it generated a million calls for salvation. And this is back pre-internet. This was you know, a million phone calls of people calling in all over the world. And it aired, it was broadcast in countries where airing Christian programming is illegal. And it still generated a million people calling the ministry for salvation. So that taught me early on that just because the ministry, the sponsor, the funding organization, whoever it happens to be, maybe it's uncomfortable for them. Maybe they don't like it. Maybe they're not you know used to that kind of thing. I'll tell you, creativity breaks rules, but it also crosses boundaries. And I was mm. just so 
amazed that the response to that program that they just fought us and fought us and fought us. So it's, it's not a testimony to how brilliant I am or how creative I am. It's really a testimony to how God can use something like that and use a fresh new approach to make an mm. impact where what they've been doing all along is just not working anymore. Mm. And that's a real picture of when God brings a new wineskin and you get offended, you know, maybe after you feel offended, you go, oh, well, is actually this, is this the breakthrough I've been praying for? Um, yeah. And should I, should I adjust my thinking and, and, you know, humble myself and say, okay, God, I'm going to just trust you with it and see what the fruit is. Uh, I love that story because you were telling a story on screen uh, with quite an intense content, but it spoke yeah. right to the heart of humanity and which is how Jesus challenged the hearts of humans when he was speaking to them. He used stories and parables and, um, you know, I love that today's media. And, and let me say, let me, that. I don't want to hog this, but let me say that for pe personal, you know, creative people listening to this, it's true of ourselves. You know, I, a number of years ago, I looked around at my work and I realized, you know, I, I'm looking at the videos we're doing, the documentaries we're doing, the television programs we're doing. And I just thought, you know, they look kind of dated. They, you know, I mean, this is kind of, they don't look as current as they should. And I really had to come to Jesus moment with myself. And I started surrounding myself with younger people, more creative people. I started look exploring new options and new ways to do things, new ways to tell the stories. And uh, it completely changed the way we produce programming on our team here. And um, it was interesting that right after that, man, our stock went up. We started getting more requests from people. And I just think that that having that rethinking moment, you know, reinventing yourself every once in a while, we just, as creative people, it's embarrassing, it's challenging, it's difficult, but we need to take that hard look at ourselves every three to five years and think, you know, am I, am I still growing? Am I still doing innovative things? Mm. And be prepared if, if you're not, and be prepared to make the hard changes you have to make as a creative person to stay in the game because, you know, culture changes today more than it's ever changed in history. And we need to continue mm. speaking that language. It doesn't mean we compromise our, what we believe. It doesn't mean we wash, you know, we water down anything, but it means mm. the way we tell the stories need to be current and contemporary if we're going to be effective. Mm. And on that working in film, you know, let's say someone's listening to this and thinking, well, I've always loved film and I've done, you know, a bit of work on a camera, but you know, how do I take what I'm doing right now to where I want to go? Uh, what are some tips you might be able to give some young filmmakers that that actually feel called to make a dent, uh, feel feel called to make that story, that take dust off that script that they put aside and they just felt disqualified, didn't feel equipped? Uh, what's something that you would encourage them to do on a daily basis yeah. or on a weekly basis to to go after that? I got plenty of stuff here for you, Elliot. Um, I, I really think that, number one, be really good at what you do be really good at what you do. I, I think that very often we let our passion overtake our skill level. And I, I'm not a big believer. You know, this is going to cause some controversy, but I'm not a big believer in passion. You know, I, I get screenplays from writers uh, that will send me a screenplay and say, Phil, I'd love for you to read it. I'm so passionate about writing. Well, it doesn't mm -hmm. take me many pages to realize they may be passionate, but they're terrible at writing. And so number one, be really good. I, I tell fil young filmmakers who are Christians, if they come to Hollywood, don't lead with your faith. Don't lead with your passion. Lead with your skill. Um, mm. 
I, I have people every year, they'll come to Hollywood and they'll meet with a producer, meet with a studio executive and say, you know, God's called me to Hollywood to change the industry. Well, they get laughed off the lot. They get laughed out of the studio. But people that come out here that are amazing actors or amazing writers or amazing DPs or amazing directors. Let me tell you, that gets people's attention. And mm. once you win that trust because of your skill level, they'll listen to whatever you have to say. So um, that your skill level will open the door more than anything. And uh, I'll tell you, Hollywood, and, and it's the same whether you're in Australia, whether you're in the same in Europe, wherever you're at, at the height, the, at the peak of the industry, you're going to compete against some really, really talented people. And so mm. I, I just think that I've got a plaque on my desk by with a quote from Leonardo da Vinci that says, I, 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 I'm still learning. And well, mm. I tell you, if Leonardo da Vinci could think like that, I can think like that. And I always want to be growing and learning new things, no matter how old I get, no matter how, you know, what level of talent I have. And so I think always improving your skill level is really, really important. The other thing I would say is, you know, always be networking, always be meeting people. You know, networking isn't just about trying to pitch yourself to people. It's about mm. making relationships. I'll tell you, I have, I, I know so many people in the industry today, simply because over the years, I've taken the time to meet, meet them. I've gone to meetings. I've gone to conferences. I've gone to events. I've developed relationships with people. And I'll tell you, that makes such a dramatic difference. The truth is people want to work with people they know. And so mm. I don't care how great you are, if you don't mm -hmm. know anybody or have any relationships, you're not going to get very far. So number one, be good at what you do. Number two, start meeting people, develop relationships with people. I think that's really incredibly, incredibly important. So really practical things like that can make mm -hmm. such a dramatic difference. And, and the last thing I would say is don't wait. Don't wait. I just talked to a friend of mine, Butch Hartman, who is a He's been a, a nickel, a, a, an animator at Nickelodeon, the big cartoon kids network here in the in Hollywood for years and years and years. And he just launched his own company. And when he launched his company four years ago, he self-funded four pilot episodes of an animated series he wanted to do. And he did it because he knew there's a lot of people with ideas out there, but people with something to show for it, that's going to put them in the front of the line. And sure enough, that's what got him funded to launch his company. So I'll tell you, we live in this day and age where we carry a television studio in our pocket. You know, if you've got an mm. iPhone or an Android phone in your pocket, let me tell you, you shoot. When I started my career in Hollywood, I was shooting primetime television specials on cameras that cost a quarter of a million dollars, and they still didn't deliver as good an image as my <laughs> iPhone does today. So there are feature films that in the U.S. here, there's a festival, a, fi a film festival for films shot on iPhones. So there's yeah. really nothing holding you back. Stop saying, if I can just meet the right producer, if I can just meet the right studio, if I can meet the right book publisher, I could do it. Let me tell you, start today, get it yeah. moving, have something that you can show people and share with people because that gets people more excited about what your vision really is. Yeah. So refine your skill, focus on building that gift. Uh, when passion tapers off, Make sure you have goals to drive you so that if your passion dies, you've got goals there to drive you towards getting better at your gift. And then go from there to networking. People have a portfolio ready to show people if they yeah. ask for it. Um, you know, don't presume to think, yeah, I love what you said there, Phil, about when you go into an industry, especially in the arts or entertainment or film, um, don't lead with your faith. Lead with your skill. I think. Yeah. 
that just shatters a whole lot of religious boxes where, you know, sometimes, well, I've been called, so I'm going to go and I'm going to change that mountain. And yeah. uh, like you said, you just get laughed out of town. But well, if you go with the heart like Paul and yeah. talk with skill, like on, you know, Mars Hill, you know, you enter down to their level, you actually know your stuff and you, you contribute mm -hmm. value, you give value to people. And God yeah. honors that. I think God honors it. I have a friend here in Hollywood who directs cop shows, you know, episodic dramas, cop shows. And he said, he told me, you know, he's a Christian. And he said, I don't make a big deal about being a Christian. I don't hand out tracks on the set. I don't talk to people about my faith. But he said, I have about 60 people that work on the crew for me every day. And he said, it's just interesting that every time somebody on my crew is going through a divorce, going through a struggle of some kind, maybe dealing with a kid who's on drugs or alcohol, he said, they always find their way to me. Of all the people on the crew, somehow they find their way to me. And I think that's the way God honors us living that life with authenticity and in, in, in reality. He'll bring people to us. So I don't think we have to knock ourselves out being a witness if we just are live the life God's truly called us to live. Come on and be present. Have, have that, that and be present. Yeah. Presence ministering more than your words. Love it. Well, Phil, as we wrap up, would you be able to pray for our audience to, sure. um, to number one, gain clarity? I think, you know, everything you've been saying, Phil, has just shouted clarity around, you know, be clear on your calling, know where you're called to, know clear on your audience. Who are the people you're called to love? Who are the people you're called to serve? Um, be clear on your skill. Are you are you really as good as you think you are? If not, work on it and think, is there longevity attached to this or should I be returning to my roots? <laughs> um, you know, I'd love you to pray for us. That would be amazing. Sure. And it's interesting you say that, by the way, about clarity. I've got a, in, in, in my new book, Ideas on a Deadline, I have a whole chapter on clarity. And you're exactly right. Early in my career, I would not get clear on things and I would deliver brilliant solutions to problems my client didn't really have. And so because I wasn't paying attention. And so getting clarity on your career, your calling, your purpose, those kind of things are so incredibly, incredibly important. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you for anyone listening who feels called to share your story with the world through their artistic gifts, whether it's writing or art or music, uh, filmmaking, whatever it may be. I just thank you that people are out there who feel called to tell that story. And I just pray you encourage them, inspire them. Uh, give them the energy to go do that, open doors for them. And I pray that you would help us really create a new generation of creative people in the Christian world that would go out there and impact um, this culture in an entirely new and different way. I just think that um, this is the moment, God. This is the moment for us to tell your story in a way that's never been told before. And there's someone out there, there are many people out there that are ready to do that. And I just pray you'd inspire them, give them that gift, and give them that motivation and help them go out and change the world in Jesus' name. Amen. So good. Well, guys, you've been listening to Phil Cook, who's a media consultant, director, storyteller, filmmaker, uh, head of Cook Media Group, CEO of Cook Media Group. And it, Phil, it's been so good to have you on here. How can people get a hold of you? Sure. Phil, Phil Cook is my website, my blog, uh, P-H-I-L-C-O-O-K-E. I'm Cook with an E on the end. And um, my blog is there. You can go to my podcast from there, see my books from there. That's kind of the center of my universe. And um, we also do something interesting, Elliot. Uh, we launched a nonprofit a few years ago called the Influence Lab. And our goal there is to help really mentor 
Christians around the world to use media more effectively. I'm, I'm always getting requests from people in India, uh, Asia, Russia, uh, Ukraine, Africa, South America, all over. Um, really Bible-believing Christians that want to know, okay, how can I use social media more effectively to share my faith? How do we do short films? How do we do these kind of things? And so we launched the Influence Lab to help raise money to help fund teaching and training sessions for people just like that. We have a, a division mm -hmm. of it called Influence Women, led by my wife, Kathleen, that is mentoring Christian women in the entertainment industry. And they have a chapter here in Hollywood, one in Atlanta, one in Nashville, and they're opening one in Orange County here in California. And so maybe we need to set up one in Australia. Who knows? That'd be fantastic. But uh, I really appreciate you asking. And and um, yeah, start. you could start at Phil Cook and you can go every, everywhere from there. Yeah, explore the web. Um, one thing I didn't ask you is, is any trips out to Australia on the cards for you? You know, I don't have anything scheduled right now. I'm going to be in Bangkok in January. Um, I've had a request to do a, a kind of a, a, a small session with 15 media leaders throughout Asia are going to be meeting in Bangkok to spend two days with me. And uh, I'm going to Cape Town um, in March um, to do some teaching there. But I don't have anything in Australia on the schedule. I want to. Uh, I, I'll tell you, I could live in Australia so easily, except you know what? There are too many ways to die in Australia. You have, you know, let me tell you something, you know, great white sharks, box spiders, uh, you got, let me tell you, but it's, it is pair. I, I love Australia and I love Australians and I, I can't wait to get back there because I think it's the most fun place I've ever been. So yeah, we'll schedule something. If somebody's listening to this, feel free to let me know. We'll schedule something. That'd be awesome. Well, Phil, it's been such a privilege to have you on Art Vance. Thank you for being on today and adding so much value to this whole narrative around artists who are empowered by the Spirit of God to go and be excellent at what they do and represent Jesus in that space of my arts and entertainment. So thank you so much again. Thank you, Elliot. Awesome, guys. Well, we'll see you on the next episode of Art Vance. Thanks for tuning in and continue to shine bright, continue to steward your gift. Be someone who doesn't bury their talent, but goes and multiplies it for the service of the King and loving people that you're called to love. All right, guys. See you soon. This episode of Art Vance has been sponsored by Audio Sugar. Thanks again for providing amazing stock music to help grow the sound of this podcast. See you next time.